Lord, protect me today. Let me be an example. Let me be a leader. Bless me with your righteousness. Let them see you in me. God, I need you right now. Help me out of this mess. Help me take a stand against the devil. Help me stand my ground. Please lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil. I could have died. Thank you for watching out for me. My life is in your hands. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, your word says, I can have whatever I pray in your name. Your word says, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. Heal me, God. Save me from the grip of death. I have faith that your mighty hand can move this mountain. Your servant is ready for battle. With Christ, we have the victory. All right, well, what's up, Liquid? My name is Nithin. I have the privilege of serving here as the teaching pastor. Would you join me in welcoming our campuses that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey, those watching online? What's up, everybody? So good to have you here. You know, it is week three of our series, SWAT, stands for Spiritual Warfare and Tactics, where we really have been studying the armor of God. How do we strap on the armor of God when we are at war with the different elements, the forces of darkness that are coming against us? How do we claim victory in our lives when there's things that seem like they're tearing apart our, our peace and our sense of joy and our center. And, and so we've been kind of looking at a passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, where we've been kind of studying the armor of God. In fact, here's what I'd like us to do today. I would actually like us to read out loud together verses 14 to 17 as a way to kind of prime the pump to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us. You guys down with that? Awesome. Well, here's what I want us to do. Take a deep breath. All right, air in your lungs, hope in your heart, and then let's go ahead and say this out loud. Ready? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the which is the word of God. Amen. That's God's word. It gives us the power in the spiritual battle that we're in. Week one, Pastor Tim took us through the first step in putting on the armor, which is getting the belt of truth. The truth of God is basically our core beliefs and convictions. Jesus calls himself the truth. This is our foundation. The entire armor hangs on the belt of truth. And then last week, Pastor Tim talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And really, he defined righteousness in this way. He said, righteousness is upright living that aligns with God's expectations. And so when we are living in a righteous way, we're putting on the breastplate here. And the breastplate is actually a spiritual flak jacket. It's a bulletproof vest. It actually repels the devil. It keeps him from attacking us and going after us. Now today, we're going to be looking at step three, which is how do we lace up the boots of peace? 
We're going to talk about the boots of peace because Paul is talking using a military metaphor. Even though the scripture says shoes, we're talking about the boots, right? Because we send our soldiers out wearing boots when they're going to warfare, and God wants to make sure you're wearing the boots of peace. You see, the Roman soldiers would have these boots that would be able to prepare them for the rugged terrain that they were at war in so they wouldn't slip or fall in the battle. And so Paul wants to make sure that you don't slip and fall in your spiritual battle, that you have the boots of peace. Now when I talk about peace, I want to kind of define what I mean. How many of you guys remember we did a series called Anxious for Nothing? A couple of, yeah, a couple, we did a series about anxiety about how anxiety kind of takes us and kind of swirls our head around. We end up going in a million different directions. And what peace is, it's the sense of tranquility and harmony. It's the sense of no matter what's happening on the outside, what craziness is happening in our circumstances, our situation, God is still in control. God is still holding us. And so no matter what comes at us, we have this abiding peace that's never going to leave us. We're in our Father's hands. That's what we mean by peace. Now, the enemy of our souls wants nothing more than to disrupt our peace. In fact, one of the things that we've been learning, Pastor uh, Clint's actually been teaching Pastor Tim and myself, that the enemy attacks in really kind of one of two ways, either by invitation or by invasion. Invitations where we actually invite the enemy to come into our lives. When we uh, say yes to sin and we start to uh, develop these sinful patterns and habits, what happens is we actually collude with the enemy. And when we collude with him, he actually has access to our lives. He can kind of do whatever he wants with us, move us in whatever direction he wants to move us in. Or he attacks us through invasion. He comes after us. He wants to disrupt our peace because he knows if he disrupts your peace, he begins to win the battle. In fact, this is a strategy that insurgents use all over the world. In fact, last week the Taliban uh, had an attack in Afghanistan. And, and what they did was they had one of their soldiers disguised as a security officer. He killed the chief of police there. It disrupted the entire peace of that region and causing all sorts of chaos. That's exactly what the enemy does, what Satan wants to do. He wants to disguise himself. He wants to deceive you, kind of snake his way into your life, and then all of a sudden blow your life up when you least expect it. That is what the enemy does to attack. The enemy is always wanting to attack you. In fact, the past few weeks I've had conversations with various people throughout our church who are going through some difficult circumstances and situations. I talked to some families who have experienced losing someone through the opioid crisis. It was a brother, it was a husband, a son, a father, who they lost because of heroin. And that's demonic in and of itself. But the enemy then attacks those who are still left. He starts attacking their thoughts and says, well, you should have known. You should have done more. And the enemy will start heaping guilt. And then he'll use anxiety and fear. He's like, how are you going to take care of your kids? You went from two incomes to one. How, how, what are you going to tell their kids? What are, you gonna t what are they going to tell their families? And all this chaos starts to balloon. And all of a sudden, it, it's this frenzy of anxiety and fear. And what it is, it's an attack. It's not their thoughts. The enemy is sending attacking thoughts to them. This past week, I had dinner with a friend of mine who said, Nathan, I'm just under attack. He's been working in this really toxic work environment. He's kind of kind of pushed through because the money's good. But he says, Nathan, it's been getting worse. My boss is now going after me personally. He's actually going after me, and it's actually so bad, it's actually affecting my health. My blood pressure is through the roof. I, I hate going to work in the morning. And my family, they, they're having a hard time with me because I just bring all that stress home with me. It's like I'm in constant attack. And you know, I know that many of us, and so even some of you watching at all of our campuses, you're experiencing attack as well. 
Every Wednesday, we do what's called our Wednesday War Room. And really what it is, it's a, it's a prayer meeting that we put on Facebook Live where we invite people all across our campuses, all across New Jersey, to pray with us. And they share a prayer requests with us. We pray for those prayer requests. It's every Wednesday from 12 to 1. You can join us during your lunch hour. We'd love to hang out with you and pray with you. But some of the requests we're hearing are just heartbreaking and examples of how the enemy is disrupting your peace. Let me share with you one of these examples. Here's one. It says this. Please pray for my friend Becky, who is suffering from, an anxi from anxiety for over two months now. See, if the enemy can't steal your soul, he's going to make you anxious. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Here's another example from Facebook Live. Please pray for my sister. She's had surgery on her esophagus to remove a tumor, and she's recovering well. However, they have now found more in other areas of her body. You see, whenever we experience an attack on our body, Satan uses that as a way to disrupt our emotional stability, our spiritual stability. We start to feel anxiety and fear. It starts to come into our lives because the enemy knows if he can disrupt your peace, he can disrupt hope. And if he can steal your hope, he makes you cynical and he makes you ineffective. You see, this is part of the enemy's strategy. If he can disrupt your peace, he can disrupt your destiny. That's what he's trying to do. Pull you away from who God made you to be. In fact, that's why during his time on earth, Jesus experienced constant attack from the enemy. He was constantly being attacked and assaulted by Satan, but that wasn't enough. Satan went out and attacked and assaulted his disciples and his friends and those around him. So Jesus actually told his disciples this. He wanted to kind of let them know, here's what's happening. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Jesus is saying, I've, I've told you what you can expect. The enemy is going to come after you so you'd have peace. And he goes on to say, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be disheartened. You're going to be discouraged. But then Jesus says, but take heart. Take heart, because I have what? Say this with me, church. Overcome the world. See, this is what the enemy tries to do. He's going to try to dishearten you. He's going to try to discourage you. He's going to try to make, keep you stuck. He's going to tell you, it's always going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you seek God. It doesn't matter if you go to church or worship. It's all going to stay the same. Why bother doing anything at all? That's the enemy's strategy. And when the enemy comes at you with his lies, when he tries to tell you that things are always going to be the same and try to discourage you, dishearten you, that's when you've got to stamp on the boots of peace and say, Satan, you aren't going to win this battle. Right. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen? In fact, Paul talks more about this in verse 15. He says this, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, this is kind of an oddly worded verse, isn't it? It's kind of like, how do I get around that? But here's what Paul is essentially saying. If you look at it from a Roman soldier's perspective, they need to have the right boots for battle. And so when we have our spiritual battle, we need to have gospel of peace shoes. We've got to have the right footwear for the battles that come our way. Because think about it. You can have the right belt on, and it fits well. You can have the right breastplate on, but if you don't have the right shoes on, it could limit you. If your shoes are too small, they're going to limit you. If your shoes are too big, they're going to limit you. If you've got inappropriate footwear for the occasion, it's going to limit you. You don't wear steel-toed boots to the beach. You wear flip-flops. You know, when you play baseball, you don't bring basketball shoes with you. You've got to wear your cleats. And so in the same way, what he's saying is you have to have the right footwear for this battle. Now, Roman soldiers... They wore something like this. It's like a military kind of sandal boot made out of some really durable leather. It was ventilated for the hot uh, Middle Eastern weather. 
But also, here's what I found the most interesting about this piece of footwear. On the bottom are these nails that would go through. They're hobnails, and they're kind of like cleats, these spikes. And so what would happen was these soldiers would have these spikes whenever they were in a battle, right? When they're in a battle, and the enemy's coming after them, and they need to stand firm. So what they do is they dig their boots in, and the spikes go into the ground, so they're ready to stand firm. So whenever the enemy comes, they're ready. They're not going to slip. They're not going to slide. They're not going to fall. They're not going to flinch. They're going to go after the enemy. And so that's what's happening here. And so Paul does this. He makes this connection between how the soldier's shoes are to the gospel of peace. He says, when you're in a battle facing your enemy, you've got to have the right shoes on. When you are in a battle with the enemy, you've got to have gospel shoes on, gospel boots on, because if you are not grounded in the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, the enemy can destroy you. If you're not grounded in what Christ has done for you on the cross, the battle is lost. We need to be grounded in what Jesus has done for us. Amen? That's the power we have in the battle that's coming our way. How many of you guys have ever heard of D. Brown? He's a basketball player. He played for the Celtics. I'll kind of explain how this works a little bit. But he was most famous for the shoes he promoted, which is the Reebok pumps. Who had a pair of pumps back in the day? Any of you? Okay, a couple of you guys had the pumps, right? Well, here's how these shoes went viral. So D. Brown, he's, uh, he's in, the, in the slam dunk competition for the NBA, right? And so he's about to take his turn. And so he gets up there, and, and all of a sudden you see the cameras focusing on him. And he goes like this. <laughs> He starts pumping up his shoes. And you're like, and as a kid, you're like, what's he doing to his shoes? What's going to happen there? So he pumps up his shoes. He gets the ball. He drives it down the court. He jumps, slams, and he wins the slam dunk competition right then and there. And then every kid, right after that, went out and bought a pair of pumps. You guys remember this? Like, they went, people went crazy. They went out and got their pumps. I remember going to uh, school the next day, and everyone's got their pumps on. Everyone's got into the basketball court. They're like, I'm gonna, and they're like, I'm going to play like D. Brown. I'm going to slam like Michael Jordan. This is before LeBron, so, you know, there's, there's some context here, right? And so they're getting all set. They're all pumped up, and they're, they're getting the basketball court, and they're still as bad as they've ever been. <laughs> like, like, the shoes did not give them the skills that they need. Some of these kids couldn't even reach to the net, right? And so the shoes did not give them the skills that they needed. It didn't get them beyond their ability or, or their skill. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you pump. doesn't matter. You still suck. But listen, let me tell you something about the boots of peace. The boots of peace, when you put these boots on, it doesn't matter what your ability is or what you can or can't do because you're standing what Jesus has done for you. Amen, church? It stands on what Jesus has done for you. His death and his resurrection have given you his Holy Spirit, has given you his power. And we have the benefits of peace no matter what your situations are, no matter what your circumstances are. You strap on the boots and the peace of God is with you. Amen? I want to show you three benefits of the boots of peace that we strap on in the battle that we have before us. The first benefit I want to look at is that this, that God's peace guards your mind. You know, Paul says that the battle is actually between your ears. The battle for peace is actually right up here in your mind. That's why he says, take captive. Say that word with me. Captive. Every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. You've got to take captive these thoughts. Now, remember when Paul is writing this. Paul's writing this sitting in a jail cell looking up at a Roman soldier. It's his guard. This guy's job is to keep Paul from leaving the jail cell. But not only that, this guy's job is to stand guard over anyone that tries to get in. 
So if someone tries to go up to this guard and say, hey, I, um, I want to go see Paul, he's going to say, wait a minute, let me see your paperwork. Uh, let, let, let me see your ID. Let me see the, the Roman stamp that says you, you should be here or not be here. You see, the job of the sentry is to stand guard to keep people out. And so Paul is saying we need to start having guards over our mind to keep bad thoughts out. Remember last week, Pastor Tim was talking about the fruit flies, right? The fruit flies that would kind of get all up in your grill. And when we talked about our anxiety series, we talked about the gnats. That's how the enemy will attack our thoughts. He'll start throwing all these gnats and all these unhealthy thoughts our way. These godless negative thoughts that kind of come into our mind and they're just always kind of getting all over our face. But what God is calling us to do, we need to act as a sentry to our mind. So if some thought comes, starts flying your way like a fruit fly, you grab it and then you hold it under the light of God's word. And you start to ask, is this of God or is this a Satan? Is this, is this a satanic thought or a godly thought? If it's a godly thought, I want to keep it. I want to gird it in my belt of truth. But if it's a satanic thought, I don't want this. I want nothing to do with that. How, how do we recognize God's thoughts from the enemy's thoughts or Satan's thoughts? Well, I want to kind of show you real quick three ways that you can figure out what is God's thoughts and what's the enemy's thoughts. First is this, is something that's satanic will make you fearful and put you in a frenzy. Have you ever experienced this where all of a sudden something makes you afraid and all of a sudden all of the, oh my gosh, this could happen or what if this happens or that happens, that happens. All of a sudden your mind starts kind of running faster than you can keep up with it. And Satan wants to put you in a frenzy. He wants you panicking. But what God is saying is, I want you to be calm. I'm in control of this situation. Nothing is a surprise for me. He wants to give you comfort. God's thoughts bring calm and they bring comfort. See, the enemy's thoughts will bring confusion and coercion. He, he, he wants to kind of put a cloud so that you can't tell what's right or what's wrong, what's good or what's evil. He also wants to coerce you. He wants to use guilt to get you to do something maybe you're not supposed to do or give you the wrong motivation. And the enemy's thoughts also use condemnation and discouragement. <laughs> what's wrong with you? You made that mistake again? Everyone's always going to remember the way you acted 10 years ago. You will never change See, that's how the enemy keeps us stuck in the same place. But God's thoughts are about forgiveness. He says, I forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're my son. You're my daughter. You have forgiveness. You have grace. And I know you can do better because my spirit is inside of you. My spirit is still working on you and developing you. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. God's not done with me yet. And when these thoughts are flying around you, you hold up the boot of boots of peace and you stand as a sentry. And if these thoughts are of the enemy, you kick them out and say, get out of here. But if these thoughts are godly thoughts, God's thoughts, you keep them and you hold on to them. Because what the enemy will do is he will use these thoughts to attack you. Maybe you have a son or a daughter and they have a learning disability and what the enemy wants to do more than anything else is come alongside you and say, what kind of parent are you? You could have done so much better. Look at all the things that you're missing. Look at all the things that you're messing up. They're never going to progress in life because of your mistakes. Or, or maybe you're single and you're in your 30s and your 40s and the enemy snakes his way around you and he whispers in your ear, you're still single? What's wrong with you? No one's going to love you. You're broken. Or maybe you're battling an addiction right now and the enemy comes to you and he says, you're stuck. You're stuck, and you're never going to change. Nothing's ever going to change for you. This is just how it is. You're always going to be a slave. 
See, when those thoughts start to come after you, you grab a hold of those thoughts and you say, all right, is this from the enemy or is this from God? Because this, this is from the enemy, that's when God's calling you to put on the boots of peace and you go to war. You say, all right, Satan, here's what I'm gonna tell you. You need to shut up, all right? Because my son, my daughter, they are fearfully and wonderfully made and, and, their work, and God's got a plan for their lives. He's got a plan to prosper them and not harm them. So Satan, your voice means nothing to me. Or you know what, Satan, get out of here. Get out of here, devil. I may be single in my 30s, my 40s, but let me tell you something. I'm a child of the living God. He is, he is mine and I am his. And not only that, he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He, he's always there with me. And Satan, get the hell out of my mind. Get the hell out of my mind. Get the hell out of my thoughts. Because in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And I have overcome the world because Jesus is an overcomer. Can I get an amen, church? Our God is an overcomer. So put on the boots of peace and go to war. We are not called just to passively take on whatever thoughts come our way, but to resist them. Hold on to what is from God and reject whatever is from the enemy. The boots of peace. But I know what some of you are probably thinking, Nathan, I get that. This is great and I need this. But you know what's making me anxious? I don't know what my next steps in life are. I don't know what to do, uh, you know, after my marriage has ended. I don't know what's next. I can't really figure out what God has for me next. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out college. What's all, I'm trying to figure out what to do next. And see, that's where we look at the second benefit, which is this, is that God's peace guides our steps. God's peace is actually going to guide your steps because you know what? These boots were made for walking. Amen? And that's just what they're going to do. These boots are going to walk all over Satan and he's going to show you where you need to go. These are the boots that God has given us, the boots of peace. In a letter that Paul wrote to a group of believers in Colossae, he says this, let the peace of Christ, what's that word? Rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. You know what our default position is as believers? What God has called us to stand in? It's peace. That's our default, to live in peace, to let the peace of God rule our hearts. This word rule, it's interesting. It actually means a judge. It's a picture of a judge sitting behind a bench. And he's got a gavel in his hand, and he's making a verdict. He says, guilty or innocent? He says, you get life in prison, you're gonna, I'm throwing, throwing out this case, I'm throwing out the charges. The, the judge makes a decisive decision and able to move forward. And many times when we are making a decision, one of the things that helps confirm whether or not this is a decision from God or not is if we have a peace about it. If we get this sense of, of peace, we know this is the right decision. But can I be honest with you? There's times where I'm a little suspicious when I hear Christians say, I've got a peace about something. I'm just being honest. Because, you know, I, I hear stuff like, you know, I saw this homeless guy and, you know, he is asking for money and I just haven't, didn't have a piece about it. So I just walked by. I go, what? I don't know if you know how that works. <laughs> but I hear people say stuff like that all the time. They'll say they have a piece about something that God definitely did not, like, sign off on. And I'm like, did you really have a piece about it? Or did you just want to get out of doing something you didn't want to do? Did you really have a peace about it? Or, you know what Jesus is actually telling you to do is much harder, but this is a lot easier, so you have a peace about it. No, you just feel good about it. See, there's a danger, I think, when we start to follow our feelings more than Jesus. See, our feelings can lead us to a false peace. Our feelings can lead us to a false peace that puts us further away from the destiny and direction that God has for our life. All of our peace comes from Christ. Jesus is our source of peace. Remember, it's the gospel of peace shoes that we wear. 
These are the boots that we put on, and it's founded in Christ. So how do we know? How do we know if it's a legit piece or a worldly piece, a godly piece, or, or, or kind of something we're coming up on our own? Well, I want you to think about it like this. Think about a traffic light, right? You guys know how a traffic light works. I know many of you may have run one this morning. Um, but for review, if you, if you didn't go, if it's been a while since you've been at driver's ed, red means stop, right? Yellow means what? Slow down, not speed up. I heard a couple of you. It's slow down, not speed up. I'm going to be praying for some of you, especially in the parking lot. And then green means go. Now, when we are asking God for guidance about something, usually those, those things that we are talking to him about usually fall into two buckets. One is a bucket of requests, and the other is the timing. Like, you know, should I go to college? It's a request. Uh, when should I go to college, right? Like, there's a timing piece in there. And so if our request is not of God, and the timing is off, that's when God says no. That's a no from God. When our request is, um, when our request is the right request, but the timing may not be the right timing yet, God says, slow down. But when the request is right, and the timing is right, God says, go. This is what I want you to do. So why don't we say this together? Say the word no with me. No. Say the word slow with me. Slow. Say the word go. No. Go. These are kind of the ways that God answers our prayers. This is the way he kind of gives us guidance, how we, when we have the boots of peace on us, how he gives us the peace in many of those situations. So let's, let me give you a couple examples to kind of flesh this out a little bit. I was talking to a college student, or a high school student. She's, she wanted to go to art school. She's like, Nathan, I really want to go to art school. I'm trying to figure this out a little bit. And, and I've been praying about it, talking to godly people, trying to get some advice. And she found this amazing art school somewhere out in New England. She's like, Nathan, I love this school, but I cannot afford it. It's a lot of money. And I said, well, what do you think God's saying? I go, well, I've been praying about it. I really think that God wants me to go to art school because I want to honor God with my art. I want to use it to bless him, to give him glory, to magnify his name. And, and, and I got that sense that, yeah, you're, you're a talented, gifted artist. That's what God's calling you to do. So clearly the request is a yes, but maybe the timing's not right. And as we were kind of praying and talking about it, she's talking to her family and friends. She said, all right, I, I do think that God wants me to slow down. So I think that I'm supposed to go to community college for a couple years, get some of those courses out of the way. Uh, then also, I need to save up some more money and maybe apply for some scholarships so I can get to this school. So for her, God was saying, slow down. The, the request is right. The timing's just not there yet. And you know, for my wife and I, we kind of saw this happening in our own life. And so we were praying about, you know, where we should live, like our, our house situation. I think some of you guys know that. And so we've been renting for a house for seven years, and we're wondering, is now the time to buy? Is this the house that we should buy? And so as we're praying about it, we go, we're sensing from God, okay, this is the house that we're supposed to at least try to buy or, or kind of look into more. And then when it was the timing. And so we talked to our landlord and said, yeah, I'd really love to sell you guys the house. Then he gave us a really amazing price that we could get nowhere else. And we said, all right, God must be saying go. And so now we're homeowners, which is kind of a crazy thing there. Oh, thanks. It's funny, you know, whenever we tell people that, people get really excited. I'm just thinking, but now when stuff breaks, I have to fix it. <laughs> like, like, I got to shell out the cash for that. Like, but, you know, but we're excited. Like, we're excited what God's going to do with that. Or how about maybe you're dating somebody, and you're dating this, this guy or this girl, and you're like, man, you know, there's a couple yellow flags, and your friends are like, no, they're red flags. <laughs> they're, they're very red. 
but you're like, you know, he's, you know, you know, maybe he doesn't have a strong relationship with Jesus. Um, he hasn't worked for four years because he's, <laughs> he's trying to find his calling in life. But, you know, I'll just stay with him. I can help him. I'll, I'll bring him to church. I'll introduce him to Pastor Tim and Pastor Niffin, and, you know, he'll come to Liquid. It'll be great, you know. And so you're kind of praying about, okay, what, what, what to do next? Like, is it time to keep the relationship going or not? And, and the more you pray about it, you talk to your friends, the more you're getting a sense that maybe this is no. Maybe this is not going to work out. But you're like, well, what about the timing? And go, well, it's been four years now, and nothing's ever changed. Is it really ever going to change? Maybe the timing's also no. You see, I think when we start to think about how do we discern what God is saying to us from no, slow, and go, we can actually start to kind of actually look at what's happening on the outside. And if those things kind of fit this criteria, we actually have the peace of God. Now, the longer you walk with God, you realize that hearing God's voice is more of an art than a science. But the more you start to kind of find better ways of thinking, right, not anxious thinking or frenzied thinking, but godly thinking, you start to create new synapses in your brain and you actually start to recognize the voice of God faster and quicker the more you spend time with him. Now, we've been kind of talking about these kind of two benefits of the peace of God, and they've been pretty personal. Like, how do you, you know, guard your own mind and how do you kind of discern, you know, your steps forward? But now I want to move to maybe more a global aspect of looking at the peace of God. An aspect of the peace of God that's not just about our own lives, but where God is actually calling you and I to be active peacemakers. That when we strap on the boots of peace, we're actually going to be going into a spiritual battle. And that's where we need to realize that God's peace breaks down walls. Amen? God's peace breaks down walls. One of the things that's so interesting about Ephesians 6, it's a summary of the entire book. It summarizes the book, and then it actually hyperlinks into other parts of the book. And so when you read Ephesians 6, and it talks about the peace, the boots of peace, or the shoes of peace, it's actually referencing Ephesians chapter 2, where it says this, For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. And he's made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see, what uh, Paul's goal was to help the people realize was, guys, God has made you one. Because there was kind of an inward battle in the church of Ephesus. You see, there were two groups of people who before they were Christians were literally at war with one another. There were the Jews and the non-Jews, or the Gentiles. The Jews did not trust the Gentiles, and the Gentiles did not trust the Jews. The Jews hated the Gentiles, the Gentiles hated the Jews, and the Jews killed the Gentiles, and the Gentiles killed the Jews. That's how it was, that's how it always would be, and that's how they lived. They're in constant, constant tension with one another. Until one day, they had experiences with Jesus, and now they're sitting next to each other in church. They're getting coffee at the Clean Water Cafe together. They, they can't help but run into one another on a regular basis. And so Paul is saying, listen guys, because of what Jesus has done for you, there's, the old rules no longer apply. You're no, it's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's no longer Jew and Greek. It is now one people of Christ. One people, one new humanity in Jesus' name. That's, that's the new order of things. It's the new family, right? When you're in a family, you got some family rules. We got to live by new family rules, the new Jesus family rules. Amen? And so... Paul's kind of explaining this to them that really one of the hallmarks of what that means is that we live with shalom. Can you say shalom with me, church? Shalom. shalom. Awesome. You're good Jews. <laughs> shalom, you know, many of us know it means peace. 
And in the verbal form, or in the noun form, it, it means peace. But when you actually use it as a verb, it's really interesting. It actually means restoring broken things. Shalom isn't just the cessation of conflict. It's actually looking around at our world and seeing what's broken and how can we fix those things? How can we put those things back together? It's not just being nice to people, right? It's not just being really polite. That's very surfacy. But what God is calling you and I to do is to active peacemaking where we can actually look to see where, are the broken, where is the brokenness around us and how can we bring those things back together? If there's family relationships that are broken, how do we bring those things back together? Uh, workplace relationships. Wherever there are brokenness, how do we bring those things together? How do we put the boots of peace on and run to conflict rather than away? So I got a question for you. How's shalom in your family? Is your family a place where people can come together where there's peace with one another? Or is there division? Is there brokenness? Are there broken relationships? Is there tension? Is there distrust? Is God calling you to come and stand in the gap and fix those broken pieces? Or how about with the church in your small group. Maybe you're watching right now, or maybe you're here for the first time because you're, you're kind of avoiding Christians. You don't want to be around church people because, you know, they're church people. <laughs> but, but, but God wants you to be in community because when you're in community, people can encourage you, but they can also call you out on your junk. And when they do that, they actually help you grow and become the man or the woman that God has made you to be. But maybe you're avoiding that. But by doing that, you're staying broken. But God wants to bring you back into community back into fellowship, back into hope, into healing. How are you doing with shalom, with humanity? One of the things that scripture says is to live at peace as far as it's about you with everyone around you. Are you living at peace with your coworkers? Are you living at peace with people who maybe voted differently than you or see the world differently than you or of a different race or ethnicity? or maybe even of a different faith? Are you living at peace? Are you, do you see where there's brokenness? And are you, are you trying to bring those broken pieces together with those in your office, with believers and unbelievers? You see, we live in a world that is broken. I don't think I need to make an argument for that. We live in a world that is divided. Our country right now is probably the most polarized it's ever been in, in a long, long time. There is constant, constant divisions. And I don't need to make a case for that because, I mean, you just need to look in the past 72 hours and you can see the amount of violence that's taken place. In the past 72 hours, there have been two mass shootings that have taken place in our country. One was in Pittsburgh at a synagogue called Tree of Life that left 12 people dead. And then in Kentucky, there was a man that tried to get into a, a black church. He couldn't get in, so he went to the local grocery store and he shot two African-American patrons there, killing them. This is beyond tragedy. This is evil. This is demonic. This is satanic. And perhaps more than ever, well, the words of Paul, where he's talking about these two ethnic groups that are at war with one another, saying they are now one in Christ. We need these words now more than we've ever needed them before. More than ever, our nation needs peace. Amen? We need peace in our churches. We need peace in our schools. We need peace in our politics. We need peace in our families. And God calls us to be active peace. That's right. Give God a praise right now. God is calling you. He's calling you and you to be active peacemakers, to be bridge builders, not wall builders. He's called us to tear down walls, not, not build them. But you know what? It's so interesting because, you know, these sound like very, like, you know, idealistic pie-in-the-sky type words. Yeah, Jesus breaks down all walls. 
but we know that the walls are going up faster and higher than ever before. But you see, when Paul talks about putting on the boots of peace, he's talking about them in the context of battle, because these boots, they don't retreat. They move forward into active peacemaking. They run towards conflict. In fact, Jesus even said this where he said, blessed are the peace, what? Keepers? Is it peacekeepers? No, it's not. What is it? It's peacemakers. What's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? See, when I think of a peacekeeper, think of like the UN, right? Whenever there's a country that has a civil war, and so the UN comes and they send troops, and what they're trying to do is keep the two sides from killing each other. He goes, no, 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 you guys stop right there. Stop killing each other, and you guys stop killing each other, right? You can still hate each other. You can still cuss at each other, but no, no, don't kill each other, right? Just, just stop right there. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. You see, when Jesus says you're faced with your enemy, he calls you to strap on the boots of peace and run to your enemy and says, you are no longer my enemy, you are my brother and you are my sister, amen? Jesus says when you are facing your persecutor, you bless them in the name of Jesus, you do not curse them. Jesus says that the world's gonna wage war the way the world does, but I've not called you to wage war, I've called you to wage peace, amen? amen. This is what our God wants us to do, amen? Come on church, make some noise for your Lord. He's called you to be a peacemaker. It's the peace of God. It's the peace of God that bridges all those gaps. You see, we need his peace. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church of Jesus Christ, we were known less for being culture warriors and more for active peacemaking, that we would run to where the conflict is at the highest point and bring the peace of God. You know, it would be kind of cool if maybe even as a culture, maybe we did something where we actually honored people who are doing active peacemaking, you know, rather than always celebrating or looking around at all the dark things that are happening in this world, that we actually celebrated people who are actually making peace. We call it maybe like the Nobel, what's it called? The Peace Prize, right? We do this, right, as a culture. We look around and see the people who are actually trying to put the world back together and we celebrate them for maybe one day out of the entire year without looking at all the darkness and the pain. Here are the people that are trying to make things better. And this past year, two individuals won the Nobel Peace Prize. It was Dr. Dennis Mukwege and Nadia Murad. And both of them are winning the Nobel Peace Prize because they both together have been fighting the use of rape as a weapon of war. And some of these civil wars that you see all around the world Rape and unfortunately women are suffering terribly because it's used as a weapon. It's used to cause great devastation. But both of these individuals have been there to fight this battle. Check this out. The Norwegian Nobel Committee has decided to award the Nobel Peace Prize for 2018 to Dennis Mukwege and Nadia Murad for their efforts to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war. To see these atrocities is something which dismays you. You have a feeling that you do not understand anything. 
you are completely perplexed by what you are seeing. But afterwards, you have to react. And the reaction is to try to re-give life, re-give the dignity that has been lost, and try to repair what has been damaged. I was taken with groups of unmarried girls, and they took us all to rape us. The situation was really horrible. They sold girls, girls that were underage, because ISIS considered that permissible under Islamic law. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think of what Nadia Murad has gone through with ISIS. There is nothing more demonic than what the ISIS warriors are doing or have been doing. And she got through that and she got out of it. And rather than just kind of keeping quiet, she's sharing her story. She's a voice for the voiceless. And I can't imagine when she's going through these interviews and she's telling people what she went through and she's reliving those details over and over again. I know that it causes so much pain. But she says, if I don't speak up, no one else will. See, her violence that was done to her is being redeemed. And she's speaking out for women. And then I think of Dr. McWege. And, uh, I was kind of learning a little bit about him, and I found out that not only is he a doctor, but he's also a Christ follower. He's actually a pastor. And when it comes to the work that he does, you know, he, he had this line in the video where he said, you know, when you first see the atrocities, you're perplexed. You're confused, because that's what the enemy does. He puts us in this fog of confusion. You're like, I, I can't see. I, what, what's going on? And then when he takes a step back, he goes, you have to react. And you want to re-give life and re-give dignity and restore hope, and fix what's broken. Shalom. In fact, as a believer, he believes that the church of Jesus Christ is called to active peacemaking by engaging in social issues. Because when they do that, the church is a light that still shines in this world of darkness through our struggles for justice, truth, law, freedom, in short, the dignity of man and woman. For Dr. Mukwebe, he put on the boots of peace and he's run into the conflict. But you got to believe he's experienced some counterattack from the enemy. A couple years ago, his daughter was kidnapped. His clinic was shot at. His friends and colleagues, some of them were killed. And he had every reason to kind of run away and to retreat. But he's like, you know what? I've got the boots of peace on. And the boots of peace on don't retreat. The boots of peace take a step forward. Because that is who God's people are called to be. We wage peace. We don't run from conflict and crisis. We actually run towards it. Amen? Let me ask you this, church. What conflict is God calling you to run towards? What crisis is God calling you to move closer to? Maybe for some of you, it's a, co it's, a, it's a global cause. It's poverty. It's, it's human trafficking, whatever it is. It's, it's a big cause where the enemy has his hands and it's so dark and it's so evil. But you're feeling, okay, God, I need to step up for this. 
Or maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. You're like, I got to retreat. This is so dark. It's so broken. I've got no hope. But God's saying, no, no, I want you to move forward with the boots of peace because the boots of peace don't retreat. Or maybe you've got coworkers and they're difficult and they're cutting you down and they're discouraging you and you just want to walk away. But God's saying, no, no, I want, I put you in their life so that you could take a step forward with the boots of peace so that you could love with them, on them, pray for them and be a witness to them. Or maybe there's family situations that are so broken, things that are so cut off, and you just want to leave things be. You want to cut people off, but God is saying, I've called you to active peacemaking. I've called you to put on the boots and take a step of faith that I can change hearts. Because something happens when we embrace the peace that God has for us. We are filled with his peace, and that peace can't help but overflow. That peace can't help but just kind of overtake every facet of our lives. And we just kind of, we just kind of just let it pour out of us. Wherever we go, we bring the peace of God with us because the boots of God, the boots of peace are always strapped on because they're not about us or how we feel, but it's actually about what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. Do you have that kind of peace? A peace that's not based on your emotions, a peace that's not based on your circumstance, a peace that's not based on how great things are going in life or how bad things are going in life, a peace that's based on what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died for you on the cross so that you would have an eternity with God. He rose again so that we would be the, for he'd be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters who would be able to defeat death. It's a peace that says life doesn't end here. Life goes on. It's the kind of peace that says, I want to bring heaven crashing into earth. I want to bring heaven smashing and crashing into every aspect of this fallen, broken world so that there is shalom wherever we go. See, false peace, it's like those pumps, right? It's like, <laughs> nothing happens. You still got no skill. But when you put the boots of peace on, you got the skills of Jesus. I, mean, I want to leave you with this one last verse. It's John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. Jesus talking to his disciples, his closest friends. says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God wants to give you that kind of peace. Maybe today, I don't know what you're going through, what circumstances that you have. Maybe there's some family issues. Maybe there's some issues at work where your mind is constantly flooded. But I want to let you have the, I want to let you experience the peace of God this morning. Would you stand with me all across our campuses? Am I going to ask the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of peace, to come and fill you with peace? It doesn't matter what you're going through because peace has nothing to do with your circumstances, but it has everything to do with what Jesus has already done for you. So just hold out your arm, hands like this. If you're in a place where you're like, I need peace. This is a, a way of saying, I'm going to surrender to God. So Spirit of God, I just invite you to come. You died for us. You rose for us. So peace, if we're following you, is our birthright. So God, we receive your peace right now in Jesus' name. I pray right now against the enemy's schemes because right now many of us are battling him in our minds, but we just think these are just our own thoughts. I'm getting the sense that some of you are having negative thoughts right now and you think they're you. You think that they're true because they feel true. But God is saying to you, no, that is the enemy. Those are lies. Kick him out. Tell the devil to get the hell out of my head. 
Maybe for some of you, there are situations that you're in at home or at work that are just really dark. And you're, you're trying to sense from God, what is it that he wants you to do? Does he want you to stay or does he want you to go? And the Lord says, just, just sense my peace right now. You're going to be a carrier of my peace wherever you go, at work or at home or in your neighborhood. And God, right now, I just get the sense I need to pray against fear against my brothers and sisters right now. I pray against fear right now. We take authority. We hold it captive in Jesus' name. And instead of fear, God, would there be faith? Would there be courage? God, we're, it seems like we're trapped. Would you show us the way out? And may we take that door. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God.